Thank you. You guys are awesome. Thank you. So, tonight's message is called A Square Peg in a Round Hole. <laughs> and I guess you could probably figure out a little bit about where we're going with this tonight, okay? All right. Inside each of us, every man, every woman, there is this place. And this place is always needing, desiring, longing, and sometimes aching. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right? And we can feel completely alone when we're in a room full of people. Yeah. I could be right here in a whole room full of people and feel like I am completely alone. We can be married, have a spouse, have children, have a career, uh, you know, have siblings, have a job, have coworkers, come to church, be surrounded by other believers, and at the end of the day, we go home and we think, there is nobody who really, really knows me. There's nobody on this earth who really, really knows me. This is a cry in everybody's heart. Happens to everybody. Now, my mother had a name for this. She called this a, uh, the camp help -its. That was her name for it. She, when you got like that or when she felt like that, she'd say, oh, I have a bad case of the camp help -its. Meaning that she had, you know, a, a scratch that she just, uh, an itch that she couldn't scratch. You know, it meant that no matter what you did, you couldn't quite shake this feeling. You couldn't quite get rid of it, right? This is universal. All a man feels it at some time. Everybody. Everybody experiences it somewhere in their life. Now, man's answer for this is to try to fill this void with all kinds of things. They've used food, drugs, sex, possessions, careers, fame, gambling, boats, cars, houses, entertainments, and the list goes on and on. They chuck a lot of square pegs at the round hole. Right? This is not new. It's not new. It's been around as long as the fall. As a matter of fact, let's go look at what King Solomon had to say about it. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 2. And for those of you who are wondering where in the world that's at, it's right behind Proverbs. Okay, now this is King Solomon. Now remember, he's a king, he's rich, he's got all the money in the world, he can do whatever he wants to do, okay? He's, and there's nothing that can be withheld from him because he's rich, he can do anything, right? He says, whatever my, ire, my eyes, well, let's start at one. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity, I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. 
Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So we see here, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Okay? So he, he, he's gone out and he's decided he's going to test out everything on earth to find out what is good for man. What brings me mirth and, and, and laughter and joy and what, and, and what, you know, what can I fill myself up with? And nothing was withheld. Nothing was withheld. Okay? So now let's go down and let's look at in, in verse 12. I mean in chapter 12, excuse me. And in verse 13 and 14. Now this is at the end of all of Solomon's seeking and his doing and his finding and his acquiring and his laboring and his building and his having. And he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So at the end of all of it, after he had had everything and, and acquired everything and did everything that his heart could dream of doing, he says, well, it was all vanity. It was all vanity. At the end, it all comes back to the same thing. God. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, we see this all the time. Now, maybe you're not out there and maybe you, you know... We don't have the money to just go out and get everything our heart desires and buy every kind of position, possession and, and, and do all these things. But look, we see it around us. We do it in our own way. And we see this with celebrities. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about, what about Robin Williams? Here's a guy who was famous. He was known. He was a good you know, actor. He was a, a very funny guy, a comedian. He had fame. The whole world loved him. He had money to buy whatever he wanted. He was known by everybody. Anywhere he went, there were people to adore him. Right? And then what happened? He got sick and it wasn't the answer, was it? No, no. At the end of all of it, he found himself in a place. You know, my husband said to me many times, he said, why would a guy like him do that? Why would a guy like him do a thing like that? Why would he kill himself? Kate Spade. There's an example. Famous designer. Money, fame, riches. People adored her. Women bought her purses and her shoes and her clothes and her stuff and her household stuff. And she was adored by many. And she was on TV at times. And she had all the fame. And then at the end of the day, she ends up killing herself. Let's talk about Whitney Houston. Oh, my. What a talent. What an amazing talent she was in the earth. And she would go into a, a, an arena and it would pack out with fans who adored her that were there and they just wanted to be in her presence and they wanted to touch her and they wanted to have a chance to talk to her and they wanted her to sign 
an autograph for them, anything to get near her. She was adored by people. She was adored. Now, she was brought up in the church. She had her start in the church. She sang in the church, in the church choir. Uh, she, was, she started out knowing God. Right? But what was wrong? Why did she go all over the world searching all these weird religions and taking drugs and, and end up in a bathtub, drugged up and dead? See? It, so apparently all of that's just not enough to fill this void. It's not enough. It won't do it. See, this void that you have, this thing, that is your God-shaped hole. And you can chunk all the square pegs at it that you want to trying to fill it up, and it will never get filled. There is only one thing that can help you with this. There is only one thing that can really satisfy us. And God designed it that way. He designed it so that nothing else could work. Now, human relationships cannot fill the void. Other humans can't do it. Do you know how many marriages fall apart because two people get together and they're young? And, of course, you know, we lack a lot of experience when we're young. There's a lot for us to learn, okay? And so, they're, oh, you're so in love and, and you're sure that when you marry this person, and especially, listen to me, if you come from any kind of dysfunctional uh, background and suddenly you've got this ooey gooey love and oh you're going to get together and everything will be perfect from here on out and all of my needs will be met and then they get together and guess what that person disappoints them in no time at all they may love you they may want to feel that need for you and they can't do it This is also not new. Let's go look at John 4. And we're going to read verses 7 through 24. And it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now she's still thinking physical. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, 
and the one you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Okay? And then the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is, now this is a key, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So we see a key here. It's worship. Okay, and we're going to come back to that. But I want you to see something here. She obviously was trying to meet. Jesus addresses a spiritual need. He knows that she's thirsty. She's empty on the inside. Right? She's had five, five husbands and she's living with one that isn't. What's she trying to do? She's trying to meet this spiritual need with men, with relationships. She's, she's trying to find that someone that makes her whole on the inside, that someone that fulfills her need, that gives her purpose, that makes her feel special. Right? But I want you to notice Jesus doesn't answer this physical thing that she's doing with a physical answer. He answers with a spiritual answer. See, she was trying to reach into a physical realm and fix a spiritual problem. And, and people are doing that left and right all day, every day. Yeah. Ladies, your husband cannot be your all in all for you. He can love you with all his heart. And he can, he can work hard for you and he can... He can buy you roses and he can take you out and he can wine and dine you and he can buy you diamonds. And at the end of the day, somewhere along the way, he'll still disappoint you. Why? Because he's a human. He's not built to fulfill this need. There's only one that can fulfill it. Men, same goes for you. No matter how pretty she is, how, how, you know, lovely she is to look at, no matter how intimate she is with you, it won't fix it. It won't fix the empty spot. She's not designed to. She can't help it. Can't help but to disappoint you when you go into it with unrealistic expectations. There's a space that is made for God and nothing else fills it. Gentlemen, your work. You can go to work and seek your worth and seek, seek all the things in the world to feel, to, to feel you know, accomplished, to, get, uh, to feel like you matter, to, to have status. And at the end of the day, it can't fill the hole. It can't fill the hole. You can work from sunup to sundown and then lay down in your bed at night and go, what on earth is this all about? What is this about? When Jerry and I, early in our marriage, I'd say probably about, I don't know, four years in. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Jerry, something like that. Um, you know, we wanted to buy a house. And so Jerry got this big contract to work for Shan's Hospital in Gainesville. 
Now, the way this was going to have to work is because it's a hospital and he was going to be replacing flooring in areas like operating rooms and stuff like that. It couldn't happen during the day. It had to happen in the, the wee hours of the night when they were through doing surgeries and so on and so forth. Well, that's quite a drive up there from we were living in Longwood at that time. And so what that meant was that Jerry had to go up there and stay there the whole week. He, he could, it just wasn't feasible for him to, you know, drive back in two to be there to work really late at night and come home. So he was going to stay there. And so what happened was for a whole year, Jerry was going up there. He'd leave on Sunday nights or sometimes Monday mornings, and, and he'd be there for the whole week. And sometimes he'd come home Friday night, which meant we would just go to bed because, of course, he was tired, but sometimes not because he had to work Friday night. So he'd come home Saturday, and basically I'd get to see him about one and a half day. Okay? And that lasted for a, a whole year. Now, it was for a good cause. I was happy, you know, I had lived by myself before Jerry and I got married, and so I wasn't afraid or anything like that for him to go, okay? But I'm going to tell you something. By the end of that year, I was feeling kind of lonely. I was kind of like, you know what, I, I, I'm missing you. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate this money, and he did make good money. It was for a good cause. He was doing it for me. He was doing it to get me a house, which I, I, I wanted, okay? So he was doing it, and it was a big, big contract, a lot of money. But by the end of that year, I was like, you know what? I'm sick of this. I didn't get married to be alone, you know? I, I'm, like, I'm like a work widow here. I'm, I'm, I'm widowed to your work. Come on home. I'm tired of this. Now, luckily by then, it was over. It was wrapping up, so praise the Lord. But I was really sick of that. But let me ask you something. How many of us has made God a work widow? See, I have a feeling that we, a lot of us have made God a work widow. Mm. Yep. I mean, I was seeing Jerry one and a half days. Does God get to see you one and a half days throughout your week? Maybe not even that. Because if work calls on a Sunday, he might not even get to see you on that day. Right. See, you're married to God, and he loves you. Right. But he finds himself alone and devoid of your company. Let's look at Luke 10, 38 through 42. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right, so we're going to look at verse um, 38. Wait, what did I say? Luke 10, 38, yes. All right. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. But one thing, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, there's a key. 
There's a key in that. See, Mary was sitting at his feet. What was she doing at his feet? She was listening. But now I want to say something to you. You can be very busy with good things. This especially applies to those of you who work in the churches or have a ministry of any sort. You can be so busy doing the work for God. See, my husband was working for me. And you can be here, and you could be here every Sunday, and you could be working hard. You could be working in the children's. You could be working in, in, on the praise band. You could be preaching. You could be singing. You could be doing it all. That's true. And God's sitting around going, hey, where are you? Where are you? You've replaced the work for the relationship. See, who, who was Martha cooking the dinner for? Yeah, she was real busy about trying. Was it a good cause? Well, sure, it was a good cause. She wanted to feed Jesus, and I'm pretty sure all of us, if Jesus was coming to our house, all us women, we'd be like, man, I got to, you know, pull it together. I got to do something here, you know? But we see she got off balance. See, she got so busy working for God that she no longer had time for him. She, had no, long, she no longer had any time to be with him. And there's a key there. See, Mary was sitting at his feet. She was quiet. She was listening. She was quiet. She was listening. Listen to me. Spouses, children, jobs, homes, all the things that we do, they're good things. They're necessary things sometimes. But we can get out of balance with any of it. And I can hear some of you saying, well, what do you want me to do? You know, Teresa, I've got, a, I've got little children, and, and, and I do have a job, and I have, yeah, yeah, I know. You have a job, and you have to go to work, and you have kids, and you got to feed them, and you got to get them to school, and you have to buy their supplies, and there's a million and one things to do for all of us. There's a million and one things to do. And you're saying, by the end of the day, man, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. I'm so busy, and I'm so tired. So let's go look at Song of Solomon real quick. Now that's right after Ecclesiastes, which was right after Proverbs. That's to help us all out. <laughs> we don't always visit these Old Testament books. It can be kind of hard to find them sometimes. Now we know in the Bible that whenever God's talking about marriage, um, he's, also, he's talking about our physical marriages, but he is also talking about the spiritual marriage to him. Okay, and so Song of Solomon, it's a book that people don't go to. It's got a lot of flowery language, and uh, it's, you know, it depends on who's reading it, but it, it can mean a lot of things, okay? But its ultimate, its ultimate meaning, the ultimate thing that it's portraying is our relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Ultimately, under, underneath it all, that's what it's talking about. Okay, and so let's look at um, chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 2 through 8. And it says, where is 2? <laughs> now, this is the Shulamite woman, and she says this, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. I have taken, she's answering, I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. 
How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart, her heart, which was awake, yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am lovesick. Now, the first thing I want to point out here to you is she said, I sleep, but my heart is awake. My heart was awake. See, I I think what's going on is we've got a lot of Christians who their heart is awake to God. They've invited him in, but somehow they've fallen asleep on the job. They've gotten so busy. See, she'd already taken her, she'd already had her bath, so to speak, and she had her robe on and she was in her bed. She was tired. She had been busy. She was in bed. She didn't want to get up and open up to her beloved. But her heart was awake, yearning. Her heart was yearning. And even though she was tired, it leaped within her when she heard his voice. And she said, I'm going to get up. Now, now he had put his hand near the latch. We read that. He said he put his hand near the latch of the door. When she put her hand on the latch of the door... Her fingers were dripping with myrrh. So what this tells me then, what this tells me, is that her getting up to open the door was of great value. See, myrrh was valuable in those days. Myrrh was, uh, as y'all remember the story of Jesus, the kings and the wise men, they brought Jesus frankincense and myrrh and gold and silver. It was valuable. So there was some value in her taking the time when she was tired to get up and go and seek Jesus. And I want you to notice something. It says that she went through, she went through some trouble trying to find him. Oh, Teresa, I'm so tired. I, you know, I just can't get up that hour early because I'm just too tired. Okay. I, well, I can't, I can't stay up. You know, I can't turn the TV off because when I come home, I'm just exhausted. And I need to unwind and I need to relax. Right? Mm-hmm. And the whole time you don't realize it, but you're lovesick. Right. See, we're lovesick. Not the way we use it. I don't mean mooning after somebody and puppy dog eyes and all this stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're sick inside yeah. for the true love. Yes, that's true. You're sick on the inside and you don't even realize what you need. See, we come to church, we log our time. Ooh, I'm here. I did my thing, okay? We belong to Jesus. Our hearts are awake, but we're asleep. Now, I'm talking to you tonight, and maybe some of you are here, and in your heart of hearts you're saying, yeah, that's true. But what do I do about it? What am I going to do about it? You know, my life is busy. I'm, I'm, it's, it's hard. Well, the first thing you're going to do about it is repent. Yeah. You're going to recognize that you've gotten things out of order, and it don't matter how busy you've been 
or, or what, not, anything, 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 anything that gets in the place of God is your idol. Yep. Right. Doesn't matter what it is. Ladies, your spouse can become your idol. Your children can definitely become your idol. When you are willing to deny doing what God has asked you to do for any other thing, anything, it doesn't matter what it is. Job, spouse, children, money, whatever it is, anything, you name it, it became an idol. You say, no, I don't worship it. Yes, you do. Because you're willing to follow it and not the words of God. And so that means it became your idol. So let's go look at Revelation 2. Your, your, your actions will always speak louder than your words. It's just the way of it. It's just the way of it. Okay? To the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor. You could be here working your way, just working away. Your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So the first step, if you find yourself in this position, if I'm talking tonight and you say, yep, my heart's awake, I belong to Jesus, but I've been asleep. I've been so busy, so, so wrapped up that I've got no time, and I'm lovesick. So my first step is I'm going to repent. It's simple. Now we hear repent, and we think, oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, God. <laughs> okay, so this is not what we're talking about. <laughs> This is not what we're talking about. To repent simply means to change your mind and turn the other way. You don't need to well for a day. You don't need to feel bad for a week. You don't need to tell everybody how sorry you are and how bad you are and how awful it is and you've done the worst thing ever. Nope, just change your mind and turn around the end. It's pretty straightforward. I've told this story before, but it's true. When I was, you know, away from God and 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 I, I did that. I say this because I did that because I wanted to turn around, but the devil had me so convinced that it wasn't that easy, see, because I'd done all these things and, and, I, and I hadn't been a good person and, and I was convinced that I just couldn't just turn around. I mean, I had to feel bad, repent, and basically, you know, beat myself for a while and then it would be real, Right? And I'm driving down I-4. I've told this before. I'm about out of gas, and they're working on I-4. Nothing new there, okay? And so I miss my exit because they've changed everything right there, and I'm needing to get off, and, and there's not another exit until I get to Lake Mary. And I don't have much gas. And so I'm in the car, and I'm like, man, man alive. And I've just been praying. I'm like, what am I going to do? I ain't got gas to go all the way to Lake Mary and then turn around and come back and blow them. And I'm just fussing. And, and, you know, they've been working on the road. So they had those little paths in the median where they had all been turning around the work trucks and stuff on I-4. And I'm driving down the road and I see one of those and I say, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn around. And just like that, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me just as clear. He said, yeah, that's what you do, Teresa, when you're going the wrong way. You just turn around. I was like, 
yeah, why don't I do that? <laughs> why don't I just go with that and do that? Why don't I? Yeah. So I did. So what I'm telling you tonight is there's no point in feeling bad. If you find yourself in this place, don't sit around and feel bad and say, I'm going to feel sorry for a whole week and then I'll do something about it. That's just a waste of your time. Just turn around. That's all it is. That's all repentance is. You don't need to cry and blubber and snot or nothing. You can just turn around, okay? <laughs> and then the next thing is, is that you're going to seek him with your whole heart. We're going to seek him with our whole heart. Let's look at Jeremiah 29, 13. The next way I'm going to find him is I'm going to seek him with my whole heart. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. All your heart. So that means you're going to have to make him first. And that means that you may have to go through some things. You may have to put some other things aside. That means you may have to get up that hour early or you may have to stay up that half an hour late or you may have to turn the TV or YouTube or Instagram or Twitter or tweet or Facebook or, uh, you know, you name it, whatever it is. Yeah. You may have to turn all of that off yeah. for, a, a, for just a minute or two, okay? Or a week or two, that's right, okay? And you're going to have to seek him. Yeah. But he says, he makes you a promise there. He says, if you'll seek me, you'll find me. You'll find me. Well, what's, what's this worth to us? What, what, what's the benefit of that? Well, let's go look at Psalm 1611. Are you all asleep out there tonight? Okay, good. Don't, don't fall asleep on me. You will show me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, everything you're seeking on the inside is to be found in his presence. See, that's the great deception that the devil's given everybody. That's the great deception he's given you. You're going to find your joy over here. Come on. Come on. Look, you go over here, and when you get that next thing, then you're going you're gonna, to, that's it. You've reached your ultimate. And then you get that next thing. Yeah. And what happens? It's not there. It's not the ultimate thing. So then we're constantly living in this state of grasping and trying and, and, and trying to get this thing. And everything you're looking for is to be found in his presence. Yeah. It's to be found in his presence. Yeah. Amen? Amen. That's good. Yeah. Fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. strength. The literal meaning of that is this. Satiety, a satiety, I'm not sure I'm saying that right. Satisfaction. Okay, of joy. Enough and more than enough to satisfy, listen, the extremist cravings of the human heart. That's the literal meaning. That's the literal meaning. More than enough to satiate the most extreme cravings of the human heart. Everything you want is in his presence. Everything your lovesick heart is longing for is in his presence. It's in his presence. Now, you say, how do I do that? Well, I'm going to tell you the quickest way I know. I'll tell you the quickest way I know. Let's go look at Psalm 100. 
How do I get into his presence, Teresa? Maybe you've maybe you're maybe you're an old hand at that, but maybe you're not. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Now, do you know you can do this all by yourself? You don't have to have a band singing. You don't have to have me sing a song. You don't have to have another person with you. What's it look like? It looks sort of like this. Oh, Papa, I just want to come before you today and I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you for your goodness to me. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that you know me all together, my rising up and my sitting down, and you know my every word before I even speak it. I thank you, Papa, that in the days when I did not even seek you, you wooed me, you pursued me like the lover of my soul that you are. And I thank you, Papa, that all the times when I didn't even know What was the danger for me that you protected me? The times I know and the times I don't know when you delivered me, when you protected me. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that you are not like a man and you do not lie. And everything that you have promised me and everything that you have said, I can go to the bank on it. I thank you for that. I thank you that you are not a God that you could, you're not a man that you could lie, but you are a God that I can depend on. I thank you for that. I thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying for me. I thank you for that. I praise you. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Thank you that you bought me this right to come into my Father's presence without condemnation. Thank you that you would do that for me. Thank you you would do that for me. Thank you, God, that you love me with an eternal love. You love me like no one else can love me. You know me all together, and yet you love me. And I thank you for that. I praise you for that. I want you to praise him right there where you're at. I don't want you to just listen to me. And I thank you, Lord. I give you praise and glory and honor. I give you the praise and the glory and the honor. And I thank you, Jesus, that when you left this earth, you did not leave me an orphan. You sent your spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for for staying with me. No matter what I do or where I go, there you are, Holy Spirit, leading me, guiding me into all truth, showing me the way, showing me the way, revealing Jesus to me. Thank you. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You are a good God. You are a good God. I thank you for your mercies, which are new every day. Thank you that you're merciful to me over and over and over again. Your mercy and your goodness, they chase me down and overtake me. Thank you, Lord. I praise you. I praise you. I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we receive you. We receive your presence. We receive your presence. Thank you so much. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. We love you, Lord. And we lift our voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you 
Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. Thank you for your goodness. It's that simple. It's that simple. Straightforward and simple. Straightforward and simple. Now remember I said there was a key when we talked about Mary sitting at his feet. It's good for us to come to God and it's good for us to pray. But in the midst of all of that, sometimes we need to be quiet and listen. Sometimes we need to just stop and listen. Why? Because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That means my written word, and it also means the spoken word. It means the spoken word. See, what your heart longs for, God has got it. But you've got to hear it from him. Man can't give it to you. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why God speaks in the still small voice? Well, if Pastor Lisa's going to whisper in my ear, then her and I are going to have to get in each other's personal space. Mm-hmm. See, I'm going to have to lean into her, mm-hmm. and she's going to have to lean into me. Yeah. See, God wants to get personal with you. Amen. He wants to get into your personal space, and he wants you in his, yeah. which is even more amazing. Yeah. He yeah. wants you in his personal space. He's inviting you into intimacy. Yes. <coughs> he wants that with you. Right? Yeah. All right, let's look at John 15. And we're just about done here. I may get done just a little bit early, which I know y'all are going, what? <laughs> but I'm not promising because we still have a few more minutes here. All right. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Full. More than enough to meet your extremist cravings. More than enough. Everything that your lovesick heart needs is to be found in his presence. First commandment was what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. James 4, 8 tells us that if we will draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Amen? Okay. So, how many of you tonight would be honest and say, hmm, my heart's awake, but I've been asleep. See, we've all done that. We've all done it. Me too. So you're going to constantly be making course corrections. I have to make course corrections. I have to catch myself and say, hey, what's the matter with me? 
Why have I got an attitude about that? Why am I being grouchy and what, what's my problem and why ain't I happy about nothing? And Uh-oh, uh-oh, I fell asleep at the wheel. I let the main thing slip out of its place. Happens to everybody. No shame in, in admitting that. All you got to do is make a course correction. Just make the course correction. That's it. Everybody say with me. I will keep the main thing. The main thing. I will not try to put a square peg in a round hole. All the things this world has to offer me cannot satisfy my soul. Amen. That's it. I'm done. Pastor's got anything to say? Did she do good? Did she do good? We got a few minutes. Can I do something? I think you'll enjoy this. It's a story you've heard before, but in light of what she preached, let's do it again. You know, Jesus told stories. And a story, when I was in India, they took me on top of a house, a building. People lived in like apartments. And the whole city was full of apartments. And they would go up on the top of the roof and have Bible studies, which opened up to the city. And they handed me a mic, and they put the chairs out. And the Lord said, tell your stories. And I looked up after I told one story, and Indians, India Indians, not Apaches, <laughs> had begun to gather on the rooftops all around the city as I'm telling stories. And I found out something when I came home that people will totally forget your sermon. And they'll never forget the story. And that's why Jesus told stories. So I have a book that I'm going to be doing. It's called The Storyteller, and I'm going to put a bunch of these stories in it. But I like to do one. Just to end it up tonight, it's along these lines. But I want to go in a little bit of history. All of us have seasons where everything doesn't go right. Just because you went to Bible school, just because you love God, doesn't mean everything goes right. Well, I had that season when I moved here to Orlando, and my marriage was already on the rocks. Uh, before I came, hoping that it would come back, and I took a job as a youth pastor. Well, you know, I'm just on fire for God. I just love Jesus. And I'm in the youth group preaching to teenagers every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night. And finally, after a while, my marriage came to an end, and the church asked me to step down, and they should have. And I went back to work a secular job. Well, you understand, Christians, they're not always, the, the, you know, there's a thing in the church about divorce. It's not positive. And there's a certain amount of it that you're kind of tainted or used goods now or whatever. And so, you know, I, I started feeling alone, very alone. And I was going to work every day. And, you know, when you, when you preach and you love Jesus and you find yourself one day and your wife is gone, your kids are gone, your church is gone, and your friends are gone. You have an idea that maybe God's gone. And that creates depression. 
and I'm going to work, and I'm having to work five days a week, eight hours a day to barely eat. And if I miss a day because of rain, that's not good. So it's a Thursday. They are sending me home. It's raining outside. I'll be gone tomorrow too. And that means my paycheck is low, and I'm going home to an empty house. And I'm driving down I-Drive, and I'm coming up to Kirkman. And so I'll give you an idea about where I am. I'm in our t my T-Bird. I had to sell my, my truck because of the divorce. I had to get a car, which I didn't want. So the girls could ride in it, and they ended up losing the girls anyway, and all I had was a car that I didn't like. And I'm riding down the road, and I finally said to God, please talk to me. I, I would pay you if you just chewed me out. I just want to hear your voice. At that point in my life, there was nothing that mattered, but where is he? And it reminded me of what she was you know, I unlock the door, and he's not there. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice that I heard years, many times in my life. Want to hear a story? And that's a real sweet sound to my soul because he would always come in my bedroom and say, want to hear a story? And he would teach me a scripture. And I'm sitting at the red light. It's raining. The windshield wipers are going on the car. And he said, once upon a time, there was a creature, a little creature, and he woke up late, and all of his family were gone, that he had waken up, and they had gone to grandmama's house. But he woke up late, and mama's gone, and daddy's gone, and all of his brothers and sisters are gone, and he's alone. And he jumps down, and he starts roaming around trying to find his family. And he's confused, he's discouraged, he's disheartened, and he jumps down, and this takes place in Africa, and he's in the and he's and he goes from the prairie to the jungle, and he walks through the jungle and he comes up on a whole bunch of monkeys in a tree. And he goes, Monkeys, monkeys, uh, my mommy and my daddy went to grandmama's house and, and I'm, I don't know how to get to grandmama's house and could you tell me how to find my family? Can you tell me how to get to grandmama's house? And the monkey said, yeah, baby, get up here and swing with us. And a little creature jumped up on the limbs and tried to do what the monkeys did. And it didn't take but a few minutes to realize this isn't going to work. And he falls down in the forest floor and he just lays there and goes... That's not going to work. And so he's roaming through the jungle and he comes up on a river and he looks down and the fish are in the river and he looks down at the fish and he leans over the water and he says, Mr. Fish, Mr. Fish, my mommy and my daddy and all my brothers and sisters went to grandmama's house and I don't know how to get to grandmama's house. Can you help me? And they said, yeah, be cool. Just jump in and swiggle, baby, and it won't be long. You'll be at Grandmama's house. So he dives over into the river, and he wiggles, and he almost drowns. And he climbs out of the river. And uh, what was the next one, Lisa? No, I don't remember either. I'll have to think. Huh? It was the gazelle. So he roams out of the jungle off into the prairie and he comes up on a gazelle and he says, Mr. Gazelle, Mr. Gazelle, 
This morning I woke up and my mommy and my daddy and my brothers and sisters, they all left and, and, I don't, and they went to grandmama's and I don't know how to get there. And the gazelle said, yeah, you got to learn how to run with us. And he takes off running across the prairie and it isn't but a moment that the gazelle just smokes him and leaves him in the dust. And he's so confused now, he just starts roaming in circles. And finally, after a while, he just kind of bumps into this huge lion. And he just looks up at him and he says, well, I'll try again. He said, Mr. Lion, Mr. Lion. And he tells him the story about what happened that morning. And the lion looks down at him and said, will you do what I ask you to do? He said, well, I did what the gazelle said, and I did what the fish said, and I did what the monkey said. It didn't work. But, yeah, I'll do what you say. He said, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to worship God with all of your might. He said, when you feel like you've worshipped enough, I want you to open your eyes, and you'll know how to get to Grandmama's house. And so the little creature goes, well, okay. And he just starts worshiping God and worshiping God and starts jumping around and, and just having a good time. And he goes, I wonder, I kind of think that might be enough. And he opens up his eyes and he looks down and the lion is down there about a two or 3,000 feet below him. And he sees the jungle and the monkeys and the fish and the, and the gazelle. And, and then he looks off over the mountains and his mommy and his daddy and brothers and sisters are flying off in the distance. And the little creature takes off and he waves at the big wise lion. And I'm sitting in my car and the Lord said, You've asked the world and you've asked your friends and you've asked everyone. I didn't design you to run with the world and I didn't design you to swim with the current. I designed you to live with me up here. He said, you know what you need to do? You need to get out of this car and worship. <laughs> now y'all don't may think, you know, when you're just broke and you're going home to ketchup mustard, I got out of that car raining or not. God, what happened? I got wet. But my heart got back right. I got in my car and I went home full of, full of joy. Walked into a house full of God and I went, you got this. I didn't go, I didn't lack food and God took care of me and it wasn't long I was back working and then it wasn't long after that then the Lord opened up the door and I started pastoring this church. You know, but he, but he, he taught me, he says, so often we, we're looking everywhere to fill this void and when we get in trouble, we think someone's going to help us. And when, when re reality, they're doing all they can to help you and you just need to get out of your car and worship I know that's simple and what he told me today that's that's pretty simple but you know whenever you're sitting around going I don't know what to do just come to church and just worship or if you're at home just worship just sit down and go you know what I I think I'm just going to turn Facebook off right now and just worship and uh, the the simplest the hardest problems are fixed the easiest ways. You can fix anything 
with your hands in the air. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Isn't that fun? I know that just kind of fit. And anyway, let's do that right now. Father God, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We give you glory and we give you honor. And you are God and there is no other. And no, no, I, I can't, I, I'll never go back and be cool. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. <laughs> I was designed to fly, not to walk. I wasn't designed for the jungle. I wasn't designed for the prairie. I was designed for the, to, to spend my life up here in the heavenlies with you. And I thank you and give you glory. By the way, the little creature was an eagle. And so are you. Well, y'all get out of here and have a good night. God bless everyone. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big Give Now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.